Before we begin, a warning that some listeners might find what you're about to hear distressing. In January last year, I was at home in Istanbul when my phone started going crazy. It was lighting up with notifications from Turkish news outlets and messages from my friends, all saying the same thing. The trial was over. Adnan Oktar was going down. I was transfixed. The man who was being led away from an Istanbul courtroom was the leader of Turkey's most bizarre and most powerful cult. The 65-year-old had been sentenced to over a thousand years in jail for crimes including forming and leading a criminal gang, fraud and sexual abuse. For years, I'd heard rumours and allegations. I knew there was something extremely weird and probably extremely bad going on. But I had no idea it would end like this. So what happened? You're listening to The Messiah and His Kittens, a podcast brought to you by The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Louise Callahan, the Middle East correspondent for The Sunday Times. In this podcast series, I'm going to investigate what lay beneath the brash, gaudy exterior of Turkey's most powerful cult. I'll try to understand more through those that were involved. There is only one purpose in life, and it's love. This turned into one of his propaganda machines. Hi. Is Louise trustable? Young women can now walk freely in shopping malls. That's because of me. God will reveal Mr. Adnan Oktar and my friends are innocent. Everyone is ready in the world right now to believe anything. And now in jail, does Adnan Oktar still have any influence? Today, I retrace my first encounters with Adnan Oktar, and a former cult member explains what Oktar offered a young middle-class woman studying for a degree in Istanbul. This is part one, The Mahdi Wears Armani. I've been a journalist since 2013, and for the last six years, I've been based in Istanbul for the Sunday Times. I've covered wars, coups and revolutions across Turkey and the Middle East. But why am I so interested in this story? I suppose because it's so unexpected. People, and journalists like me are very guilty of this too, like to put the world into neat little boxes. Turkey looks like this, Muslims look like that. A woman dancing on TV, liberated. A woman joining a religious cult, repressed. But sometimes something just comes along that blows apart all of your preconceptions of the way the world is supposed to fit together. In this story... Victims become victors. Rules are destroyed. Islam becomes cover for coercive control. Dance parties and skimpy dresses become tools of oppression. Layer upon layer of lies and misdirection are heaped together until no one knows what's real anymore. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a new pandemic thing, no beard. You're so fancy, man. Since you moved to since you moved to America, everything's... Changed. Well, it actually started because I, I started business school and I had to... That's Shabtai Gold. I'm a journalist based in uh, Washington, D.C. right now. We're chatting over a video call. Before Washington, I lived in uh, Istanbul for about four years, where I covered Turkey and a lot of the other parts of the Middle East. 
Shabtai is an avuncular New Yorker in his late 30s. He's got short brown hair and he can talk the hind leg off a donkey. I'd met him pretty soon after I moved to Istanbul and in 2016 we were both invited to an event. It was organised by the preacher and cult leader Adnan Oktar. It was like being invited to the circus and who says no? I knew about the cults in Turkey and the religious movements that exist in Turkey and there are quite a lot of them. And this was one that was always sort of on the radar as just being particularly ridiculous, but also clearly wealthy. They did have some international reach, but it wasn't really clear if they wielded any political power. Probably mostly they just were keeping to themselves and doing their own thing. The cult didn't have a name. In fact, they didn't see themselves as a cult. Instead, they just called themselves a group of friends. Their visual appearance was particularly odd. They were very obsessed with plastic surgery, makeup and tight dresses on women, abs on men. It's not entirely foreign to someone who, let's say, is aware of evangelical movements or other uh, sort of modernist religious groups. But in the Islamic context, it was a bit of an anomaly. So, back in the summer of 2016, Shabtai and I, along with a handful of other journalists, were crammed into a taxi, heading down towards Chiran Palace, one of Istanbul's fanciest hotels. It's an old Ottoman imperial palace, carved out of grey marble, that sits on the west bank of the Bosphorus, which is the body of water that splits Europe and Asia. First of all, you have to go through Istanbul traffic, so the taxi ride always takes longer than you imagine. There's always one person who speaks Turkish who, who the driver's trying to communicate with, and everyone else is just yelling in English, getting more and more excited as you inch forward. We were going to an iftar, the traditional meal eaten during Ramadan, after the sun sets and Muslims break their fast. It was an opportunity to see this cult in action. Everyone got dressed up and went to the Swanky Hotel. Were you wearing a suit? I was probably wearing a, 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 you know, a blazer and, uh, and, and casual business. All the journalists just look so kind of scruffy compared to all the other people there. I remember looking over and you were standing there talking to a group of elderly rabbis. You just have to picture this for a moment, that you're standing in this beautiful spot and there's these women in skin-tight dresses, but very fine evening wear, but plastic surgery that they all look identical in a very particular way. Shabtai is talking about the kittens, the name given to the female members of the cult. And he's right, they all look exactly the same. And you're just getting over that and then there's a group of rabbis. And you're like, what is going on? How is this happening? This was odd, because for years, Okta had been a vocal anti-Semite, talking constantly on TV and in his books about supposed Jewish conspiracies. But now he had changed his mind and started courting Israel and the wider Jewish community, which had given him a reputation as someone who could bring faiths together. Also at the Iftar, there were evangelical Christians and representatives for just about every belief system. In Turkey, the overwhelming majority of the population is Muslim. So this seemed to be a kind of PR exercise. It did not feel like we were doing any hard-hitting reporting. At some point, you do wonder how clever they really are and whether they're so clever that you got played or whether you just took them for a ride and had a great time. Did you talk to any of the any of the women, the, the people he calls his kittens? I did. Like the marketing people, the PR people were also kittens, also with the tight outfits and the high heels and the plastic surgery. At the Iftar, I recognised some of the kittens. 
They were presenters and guests on Adnan Oktar's TV channel, A9TV, where they would chat to him about Islamic theology or current affairs before breaking into stilted dance routines. I'm watching a video on YouTube. A group of kittens is sitting in the audience, and Adnan Oktar is up on the stage in front of them. The whole thing looks a bit kind of budget. There's some fake plants in the corner, some weird decor. And for some reason, they're going around one by one and explaining uh, where they'd gone to school and where they'd gone to university. And as they're talking, Adnan Oktar occasionally kind of interrupts and goes, çok güzel, which means great, or mashallah. Mashallah. It's an Arabic word which means what God has willed. That is used a lot when you're showing appreciation or awe for something. As soon as he says it, his followers say it back. Mashallah. Mashallah. Maybe what he's trying to do is to show how educated all his followers are. That's what comes across, right? He's saying, please say what amazing backgrounds you come from and how educated you are. They look like they're not exactly, they're happy to be there, but they mainly look like they are just desperate for his approval. Anyway, back to the iftar. They, by and large, tried to avoid talking about what they know are their more controversial points of view vis-a-vis us. While Shabtai was trying to get his head around the sight of rabbis chatting to Adnan Oktar's kittens, there was still someone missing. The man himself. We were all hanging out on this balcony, beautiful, all, everyone's taking selfies. It's very straightforward. We're having an iftar, it's Ramadan, we're Muslims. But then it becomes clear that he's coming in. You see a armored SUV pull up, a very heavy doors that need security guy to come out and open them up because they weigh a ton. And out pops this guy. And as soon as he pops out, I mean, if I had any illusions about him or about joining his movement, they were dashed right there. When this guy can like barely stumble out of the, the, the truck, he walks with a bit of a side-to-side sway. His clothes don't fit well. And this is a man who, there was a thesis written about him called the Mahdi wears Armani because of the way that he dressed. The Mahdi wears Armani is a book by the Swedish academic Andros Solbay. In it, she examines how Adnan Oktar's bizarre worldview was shaped by a changing Turkey. Mahdi in Arabic means the rightly guided one, who, according to Islamic belief, will appear at the end times to rid the world of evil and injustice. In other words, the Messiah. But this guy didn't seem to fit the bill. He is wearing expensive clothes, but they look like they don't fit him well. I remember looking down when I was shaking his hand and seeing that his cuffs were were really frayed. Who has frayed cuffs? Who owns a shirt that long? Especially when you're that guy, you're, you know, you're the Mahdi who wears Armani. It was such a contrast with his kittens, who clearly every dress was only worn once or twice. I guess that says a lot about those women's relationship to him, that even though they're so well put together, no one's like, you want to change a shirt. Right. I, I think no one ever had the ability to say that to him unless he, he definitely had a very strong aura of the strong man. 
that really came across. It was really like a CEO just entered the room, but not a fun CEO. It was interesting though the way that the kittens reacted when he walked in. I was chatting to one of them, and she just went completely quiet and sort of jumped up and and looked over at him. It, they all seemed to be very aware of his presence, and everything seemed to kind of center around him. It centered around him, but almost abstractly, in the sense that there was no direct interaction with him, but he was clearly the center of the universe. Just how much I saw when I went back to the table after meeting Okta. I'd barely sat down when the same kitten I'd been chatting to earlier came over. Bursting with excitement and grinning, she told me that Okta had liked me. I could come and visit the cult whenever I wanted. It's worth pausing now and just filling in a few gaps. At this point, Adnan Okta had been running his cult for about 40 years and commanded support among very senior levels of the Turkish business and political world. Over the years, Okta had been seen with and linked to some top government officials. His central belief was that he was a messiah-like figure battling against dark forces attempting to control the world. He had thousands of followers, many of them from Turkey's most prominent families. Some of them lived with him in Dragos, a tightly guarded hilltop lair in Istanbul, set among immaculate gardens. After the iftar, Adnan Oktar and his followers dropped off my radar for a bit. The attempted coup in Turkey later that summer threw everything into disarray. The Turkish president says his government is back in charge after a failed military coup. By the autumn, I'd locked up my flat in Istanbul and gone to Iraq and Syria to cover the battle against ISIS. Then, in 2018, something changed. One of the most prominent members of the cult defected, and news of the horrors that had taken place behind the gaudy facade began to leak out. Sexual abuse, coercive control, blackmail... Oktar's people denied everything. I wanted to find out more. I dug out an email address for one of the kittens I'd met at the iftar and asked for an interview with Adnan Oktar. To my surprise, she emailed back straight away. Would I be available around midnight? Oh, no, no, please, before you leave Thanks very much. I can help you. Yes, you would. Thanks. I'd arrived at Dragos, Adnan Oktar's compound. I'd been picked up by a member of the cult, and by the time I got there, it was almost 1am. I was soon in his A9 TV studio. It had a strange green light that made it feel like an aquarium, and a raised stage with ornate chairs. In the audience were more than a dozen male members of the cult, dressed up in suits and looking really perky. They didn't care that it was late. They were ready for Oktar's arrival. There was no sign of the kittens... This cat is mine. His name is... But there was one actual real-life cat. Summer. Yes. Summer. They started setting up a camera, I presume to record the interview. Sorry, I'm not being recorded with the camera, right? As a journalist, I was worried they would edit the footage to make it look like I supported their cult, or, if the interview went badly, to somehow try to turn it against me. In the end, they agreed they wouldn't film it. Then, Oktar came in. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Please, Balogun. Pleased to meet you. How are you? Very well. How are you? I was genuinely shocked. 
Since I had last seen him at the iftar with Shabtai, he had developed an enormous growth, which looked like a hernia that hung down his leg. His dyed, jet-black hair was slicked back, and his short beard was well-kept. His face looked somehow both blank and frazzled, and he was limping. After a few steps, he plonked himself down on one of the chairs and looked across the audience of male followers. There was so much I wanted to put to him. At the time, there were a lot of rumours going around. What exactly were his links with the Turkish political class? What was this obsession with the so-called British deep state, a secretive cabal that he says were trying to control the world? And, of course, the accusations that the women in his cult were being sexually abused. When he heard that you uh, came, uh, he just stopped the broadcasting and invited him. That's very kind of you. I was told that Adlan Oktar had just come off the air from A9TV to see me. Given that it was now about 2am, I was pretty dubious. Anyway. You are a very important guest. Thank you. So, um, how many hours a day do you usually broadcast? We broadcast from morning to evening, but my show runs for about uh, five or six hours a day. Adnan Oktar's words are being spoken here by an actor. What are people in Turkey interested in, in hearing you talk about now? What are the kind of things that you get asked most often? About love. That's what they're really interested to hear about. Um, and why do you think that is? It might be because I put a lot of emphasis on talking about love. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Okay. This was pretty standard cult fare, I thought. Peace, love, and, oh yeah, coercive control. So can you tell me a bit about your your, your friends or what you've previously called your kittens? Um, what kind of, of life do they live? What, what do most of them do? How many of them are there? If you look at their Facebook pages, then you can see. Sure, but I'd like to hear it from you. What are their, what's their role? <coughs> I love them so much and they love me so much. <laughs> there is only one purpose in life and it's love. Mm-hmm. I want to put the allegations to Oktar that women in the cult are being sexually abused. Keep in mind, three years later, Oktar would be found guilty of sexual assault and sexual abuse of minors. But having just started the interview, I decide to leave that to the end because I'm not sure how he'll react. So I move the conversation on. You may change a different translator, lady. Also, a new translator arrives, a woman. Hi. Hello, welcome to meet you. Very nice to meet you, Roger. How are you? One of the kittens. I'm fine, thank you. Good, thank you. We spoke for about three quarters of an hour and had a rather broad-ranging chat. I asked him about his cult's role in Turkish politics. I don't have any dealings with politicians. I actively avoid having meetings or dealings with them. About his belief in the British deep state. As they say, the sun never sets on the British Empire. It's the most recent, most powerful empire. So the deep state was handed down to its leaders. And is that still the case? Yes, it's still like that. He said he believed the Queen was aware of the deep state, but certainly not involved. Absolutely. The royals are also under pressure from the deep state. 
At one point, he started raging against the homosexuals. They started to collaborate with the homosexuals, atheists. Eventually, though, I got us back onto the workings of the cult. I asked him how he sees the kittens. Do they have any jobs other than just being with him? Yes, they do have other jobs. Also, they're all university graduates who speak at least two to three foreign languages. What's your relationship with them? How would you describe it? Well, let's put it like this. It's one of profound feelings of affection, intimacy, trust, friendship and compassion. And also a great sense of protectiveness. Because other people have described it as a sex cult. Is that right? No, that's just because they're jealous. Because the people who say that don't have this kind of love in their lives. That makes them jealous. But what, what's the thinking behind what they wear and how they dress? That's totally their decision. But I really love their taste and style. I really do. None of their outfits are alike. They're different from each other. None of their hairstyles are alike. But they do look like one another. Because they all have a certain high quality, pure, genuine look. Soon the interview came to an end. Thank you for your time. And I was more confused than before it started. I left the compound, helped by the translator and the cult member who had driven me there. On the way home, I wondered how I was going to turn this into an article. In the end, it was just so odd that my editors at the Sunday Times didn't publish it. I put the story to one side, but it wouldn't be long before it caught up with me again. Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. I'm sure you have realized that I'm not doing any of these interviews about Dan Doctor anymore. Every single interview turned into something about ladies and dancing and bikinis. That's Jelan Özgül. She's a former kitten. Remember when I said earlier that everything changed for the cult in 2018? Jelan was the prominent member who had escaped and who had started speaking out about what was really happening. After she made it out of the cult, Jelan did a lot of interviews, mostly with Turkish media. But she was fed up by the same old questions. The only image on people's minds about Adnan Oktar and this cult is girls in bikini or like revealing clothes and Adnan Oktar dancing with some of them. This makes the subject really light. But it's not a subject to be taken really lightly. It's actually about how to enslave, especially young women and young men who are open to idealizing any idea. Not it can it can be religion, it can be a philosophy, taking these people with pure intentions and enslaving them and using certain techniques to do that. Jaylan was happy to speak to me. I'd gotten to know her while investigating this story. We're sitting facing each other at a table in my flat in Istanbul. It is incredibly hot, but as always, she looks immaculate. Jaylan has short blonde hair and is dressed in white jeans and a top. Her makeup is toned way down from the way it used to be when she was in the cult, but her face is still striking. Jaylan joined the cult when she was 24 years old. She'd end up spending 10 years in the group. But I wanted to know, what originally drew her to Oktar? I met someone, I met a guy, and we started talking about business. because Towards the end of her third year at university in Istanbul, she had been lonely and entirely focused on her work. Then... We didn't have a relationship, but we became kind of friends. And At this time, Jaylan was a young student, figuring things out. This new friend seemed sophisticated and worldly. He introduced her to someone, a family friend of his. Yes, I said, sure, why not? And he was, you know, quite fun to have a chat with. We could talk about history, physics, medicine. I liked spending time with him. Like an older guy who would take you seriously and of. A little more than a month, I learned that his name is Adnan Oktar. And then I remember I went to my brother, who is like seven years older than me. And I said, I met Adnan Oktar, did you know that? And he said, what would he do with you? Like, <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. And they didn't even, you know, believe that I, I actually met him and I was spending time with him. Were they not worried for you, your family? I didn't tell my mom and dad. I just told my brother and he simply didn't believe me. I didn't understand that they were like circling me with a new uh, social circle. Like I was losing my old old friends and my social support from the outside world, and they were you know paying attention to you. You are very young and you are spending time with them. You think you know oh it's a very cool group, and uh, some of them are even from very well known families of Istanbul. And when it you didn't were... happen overnight. It happened over like. A year, a little more than a year, maybe. 
Even the stupid things started to suddenly make sense to you after a year. So you were like a frog in boiling water? Yes, yeah. It was around this time, in 2003, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan became the Prime Minister of Turkey. With his rise to power came a more religiously conservative approach in a country that since 1928 has been a secular state. There even used to be bans on women wearing headscarves in public spaces as outward expressions of religion. But under Erdogan, the ban was removed, and religion became a more visible part of everyday life. So being a part of a secular-looking conservative group was hot in Turkey. It was actually, you will remember those times maybe, it was actually, you know, supported by the government as well, everywhere. So you would want to be, you would want to have such friends. Jaylan is saying that in the early noughties, Adnan Oktar and his followers fitted into Erdogan's changing vision of Turkey. While on the face of it, Erdogan and Oktar's worldviews may at first seem at odds. Erdogan's government allowed women to wear headscarves, while Oktar put them in mini-dresses. Both of them were part of a movement to bring a modern version of Islam into the 21st century. At the time, the old secular ruling class was being thrown out in favour of this new breed of politician. It might be hard to imagine it now, but at the time, Erdogan and his party, the AKP, were seen as go-getting changemakers who were showing that it was possible to have a vibrant, functioning Muslim democracy. I wanted to know what Adnan Oktar was like back then. When I went and met Oktar, interviewed mm-hmm. him in 2018... He made no sense. Like, I, I was mm-hmm. asking him stuff and he was answering and there was just a total disconnect. When you met him, yeah. did he make more sense? Yes, a lot. The, everything changed a lot over the years. For example, when I first knew them, they didn't have a TV station, nothing like that. They were only translating scientific works from all around the world and they were using those works to write their own literature. An interjection here. I don't know exactly which publications Jaylan is referring to, but I've read a few of these translations and scientific works, and a lot of them seem to just be rehashed summaries of Wikipedia entries and conspiracy theories, which Adnan Oktar then would publish under a pen name. And they were organising international conferences, which was fun to do, for example, for me, when I was in the cult for the first years. It looked like a very sane group of conservative people who came together to tackle one subject which could be very helpful to humanity. The subject that Oktar and his followers were claiming to tackle was a negative view of Islam, one particularly prevalent in the West. It's 8.52 here in New York. I'm Bryant Gumbel. We understand that there has been a plane crash on the uh, southern tip of Manhattan. You're looking at the uh, World Trade Center. We understand. In 2001, America had been hit by the 9-11 terror attacks, coordinated by the militant terror group, Al-Qaeda. There's been reports of an explosion outside Liverpool Street Station, that, of course, in the east end of London. The- Four years later, suicide attacks were carried out by Islamist terrorists in the UK. So against this backdrop, Adnan Oktar seemed to offer a version of Islam that could appeal to a Western audience, some of them equating the religion with terror. If you are living in that era, you are fearing Islam and you are looking to people in this cult, this group of people who are very secular looking, you want to make them like an example to other Muslims in the world, right? That's why, that's how he started taking root in Western countries. They even gave 
quite a few conferences in American military compounds. Can you imagine who gives conferences in American military compounds? I really can't. So, where are we? Adnan Oktar's followers were worshipping a TV preacher who wears ill-fitting suits like scantily clad women and thinks that dark forces are trying to control the world. From a distance, it's so ridiculous that it's almost funny. But for his followers, the reality was anything but. Next time on The Messiah and His Kittens. Sexual abuse started right after I married him as a 16-year-old. I speak to a woman who was coerced into marrying Adnan Oktar in the 80s. I was counting how many times they were hitting the hammer and the chisel to my nose. He did not let us get general anesthetics. And suffered years of abuse. Once you're part of that world and in the organisation, you could kill someone, rape someone, steal. And I meet two former lions, the male members of the cult. It's all down to Adnan Oktar's orders. You've been listening to The Messiah and His Kittens with me, Louise Callahan. It is brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. The series is written by me and Will Rowe. It is produced by Will Rowe. The producer in Turkey is Berileski. The executive producer is Asya Fuchs, with original music and sound design by Tom Birchill. And the actor voicing Adnan Oktar was Struan Roger. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast... There are some helplines and websites you can access. Just go to the notes in the podcast description. 